Turn in your Bible with me to Hosea chapter 6. You need a title for tonight's message. It's entitled, Who is this? Who is this? I am profoundly convicted. More and more every day, but deeply, profoundly convicted that we claim to know God when in fact we really don't know Him. And that the most revelatory person amongst us, the one that knows God the most on their best day is peering through a glass darkly. And that most of us believe we know God in fullness when in fact we only know God in an introductory measure. And so tonight, I just want to keep hitting that in a desire to kindly and boldly call you again to pursuit of the knowledge of God. Every week we have new people and visitors and different ones that come to this meeting. It's it's a meeting that we invite all of our staff and our family to. And then, you know, every week there's a bunch of different folks that come and visit and just check it out. And so I've been along this theme for the last three weeks, but it's fine. But I'm going to hit it from a different angle tonight. So staff, this will help. But if you're hearing this for the first time, I want to say this strongly to you. We hear a lot about how we know the Lord. We It's, it's an idea. I want to say this clearly the knowledge of god in other words our knowledge of god in the church it's an idea we take for granted we assume far more than we have living revelation of we assume that we have living revelation of far more than we actually do and and what i want to say to you boldly but kindly is this myself included, that we are at the introductory phase in the knowledge of God. And until you've gone years in a place of fasting and prayer, seeking to know Him, and I mean like 50, then maybe you graduate from kindergarten into first grade. Oh, that's kind of strong. But it is what it is. For us to assume that we know him at a depth on this side or in this age, for us to think we know most of what there is to know about God, dramatically, radically decreases who he is. Perhaps there's a million features that the Bible discusses about God. And for math's sake, let's call them ten. So all the million, they equal 10 features. So he's like, I didn't go that far in math. Can you make it easier? I'm trying. So let's call the Bible has 10 features. We know that's really a million, but let's call them 10. If perhaps you get three of them really good of what's available to know about the Lord, know of the Lord, I should say, rather than about of him, you still don't know 70% 
of everything that the Bible declares about him or declares of him. Now let's go ahead and take this a further step. I think it's very likely that the Bible only gives us 10 features of which undoubtedly there are multiple millions more about or of the knowledge of who he is. So in this age, when we begin to go after God, to know God, I'm not saying, oh, it's worthless, don't try it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a great depth in the knowledge of who he is. He will release tokens and revelation and give you encounter in this age. But the best, most revelatory prophetic guy that has visions every night and sees angels is the best one is through a glass darkly. And so my thing is this, I want to, I want to call us boldly to real pursuit of who he is. I want to call us to ask the question, who is this? So there's your introduction. Hosea six, let's look at verses one through three. I want to be a person that proclaims Christ rightly. I want to proclaim the knowledge of God. I'm tired of telling people what they ought to do and what God will do without there being a depth of the knowledge of who he is. We really have got to know him for in knowing him that the attributes of who he is will begin to resonate within us and we will begin to produce uh, Christ-like character and Christ-like power. It's called being a partaker of the divine nature. So Hosea 6, here we go, let's look at this. Hosea 6, like Hosea, he's prophesying to the nation of Israel. It's, it's pertinent to all the people of God. He's, if you go back and read chapter uh, 4 and 5, they're not too happy. Chapter 2 is pretty good. Chapter 3 is real brief. It's instructions from God, Hosea. Chapter 4 and 5 are pretty bad. They're the judgment of God on the people of God. He goes, you've turned away from me. You've run into adultery. He says it 25 different ways. And he goes, bad stuff's going to happen. That's really the bottom line. And then chapter 6, he starts off. So this is kind of like Hosea, I think, kind of sort of like taking a breath. He goes, come on. Let's return to the Lord. He's saying this in wake of 4 and 5. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know and let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Let us know and let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. Another way to say that, his coming, is established as the morning. He will come like rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. These are powerful, powerful verses. I believe that they're a prophetic promise of a great end-time revival that discusses if you take two prophetic days, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. You say two days from 
Christ 2,000 years, it perhaps discusses a prophetic time frame in which global revival will hit the planet, perhaps. But further than that, it, it promises, and, and this is even the, the stronger uh, piece, it gives us a certain promise of the coming of the Lord uh, without fail, indefiniteness. God will come, it is established. That's what he says. God will come, it is established, just like the morning is established. Has there ever been a day when the morning didn't come? Never been a day the morning didn't come. He goes, he will come. I guarantee you he'll come. It's established. And when he comes, he comes like the latter and the former rain at the same time. Joel 2 says the latter and the former rain together. James 5 says the latter and the former rain. But he says you must be patient and wait. He's going to come like rain, but you've got to be patient. He will come. Here's what I want to say to us. This one that's coming. I'll lighten up a little bit. I'm a little intense. <laughs> this one that's coming. Do we really know what that looks like? Do we have a proper grid on what revival may look like? What does the latter and former rain together look like? But even, let's just... I don't want to get rid of it. We'll talk about it for a minute. But what about when he comes? What about when God comes? What about when Jesus Christ, the uncreated God, who is now a God who is forever a man, the God-man comes when he comes and he returns to the planet. What about when he comes in a glorified body with legions of angels in flaming fire to take rulership of the planet? You know, we, it's, it's really entrenched in our language that we think that Christianity is about dying and going to heaven. We talk about that so often. When you die, you go to heaven, da-da-da-da-da. you die, you go to heaven, da-da-da-da-da. you die, you go to heaven, da-da-da-da. Well, let me tell you something. If you die right now, you do go to heaven for a while. But guess what? You're coming back. You're going to come back with Jesus when he comes. You're going to get your body in the air. It's going to be unusual. It won't be regular. There'll be a morning that day, but it won't be a regular morning. So you die and you go to heaven for a minute. And then you come back with him. If you're alive when he comes, you're just changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. You're just changed in an instant. Bam! You're changed. Your immortality. I mean, your mortal puts on immortality. Your corruptible puts on incorruptible. And you're always with the Lord from that moment on. You're changed. And where is Jesus coming? To the planet. You'll be with him forever. Wherever he is, you'll be there. And he's going to be on the planet for at least a thousand years. i got plenty of scripture that gives us the idea it's going to be way longer than that. This thing is about heaven coming to earth, beloved. It's about the God who is the king establishing his rulership throughout every facet of society. Do you understand that this Christian thing is about a kingdom that will be established in fullness on the planet? It's really what this is about. 
Who is this one that's coming? I think Hosea had a little thought. He goes, you know what? Let's return to him. Because come on, guys. Let us return to the Lord. He goes, the judgment of the Lord is on us. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. I could say that probably real clearly over the, the earth today. The judgment of the Lord is upon the earth. Come, let us therefore return to him. If he tears, it's because he wants to heal. If he smites, it's because he wants to bind you up. If he moves in judgment upon the planet, it's because he's got a redemptive mentality about 99.9% of the time. He's got a reason for pressing. It's so you'll give yourself to him in voluntary love. Rebecca mentioned a moment ago, she goes, you go sit in the prayer room and you got nothing to fall back on. You got no movies, you got no TV, you got no video games. The next thing you know, all the props of your life are kicked out and your only choice is a book. That's Jesus written in the pages and then worship all day. Now that's a real romantic idea for about a week. But man, after about a week, you'd really get in touch with how much you're propped up in our Western society and how much we anesthetize ourselves with all the gimmicks and the games and everything that this life has to offer. The desires of this earth, they draw us and allure us into comfort and complacency many times. When you get before the Lord and all you have is Him, all of a sudden, this thing that I'm trying to convince the church of every time I go preach somewhere right now, all of a sudden, the, you have a great recognition that you don't know Him. So I'm calling our house, this little IHOP, baby IHOP, and I'm calling believers to return. Let's return to Him so we can know Him. Let's return to Him. And there He goes in verse 3. This is exactly what He says. He goes, let us know Him. He discusses in verse 2 the day in which we will live in his sight. Now, what is that, beloved? That's this at least a thousand years, many more probably, that we're going to live on the planet with Jesus Christ as the leader. For real. It's heaven coming to earth. But then he goes, let us know him. Let us pursue to know him. Let us set ourselves with a, a, a pursuing heart, an aggressive spirit to know this one that's coming. And here's what I think. I think that his coming is going to be so shocking to the system that even the, the, the pangs prior to his coming and even the labor pains prior to the birthing of his kingdom on the planet, they will offend masses. Masses will be offended at the reality of the Lion of Judah roaring from Zion that's on the planet and that's not just a nice song. What does that mean? God, ha, as a man, fully glorified and taking leadership of the earth. This thing doesn't get less intense. It, I mean, it doesn't like, like that meeting was intense. Uh, it's like, oh, that meeting was, wait, here's where we go. That meeting was intense. And God goes, bring it down 12 notches. The meeting was there. The preacher was down there. He goes, this thing's going up here, beloved. It's going to get so intense. And we're, we are profoundly convicted that we don't know the Lord in, in the house of prayer. I'm convicted that I don't know him. 
I have an introduction in knowledge of him, but I don't know him. So it says this, let us pursue the knowledge of God. He goes, there's an established coming of the Lord. He's going to come in power. He's going to come like the rain, the early and the latter rain. One of our uh, staff just had a, had a uh, uh, dream, and in the dream, she was taken away in a vision. Now that's extra. <laughs> the one that you get the dream, and then you go off in the vision in the dream. <laughs> she goes off in the vision in the dream, and it's raining, and every drop is like a bucket. It's the early and latter rain combined. And it's the buckets of rain that are coming that are thwarting the work of the enemy on the planet. Global. I mean, this thing was intense dream. And God comes, and I want to propose to you, there's a revival coming that will far supersede any supposed revival we've ever seen. It will take all of the revivals throughout history. It will, it will bring them together, conglomerate them in power, effect, and influence globally, and it will su- surpass that. There's something coming to the plane we've never seen before in the Spirit, and that thing is the mercy of God. What do you mean it's the mercy? I mean, it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance, and there will be such global revival in such a measure. It's God's mercy, and here's the thing. It's mercy because what's going to follow that thing is going to be judgment at its highest level. I used to think that the revival to come, hear me, I used to think it was about a power thing and a bunch of good meetings. I don't think that anymore. I think there will be power, and I think there probably will be a bunch of meetings. I think there'll be dead raisings, and there'll be mass salvations global. But I really, really believe it's this. It's God going, I want to have mercy on you before the day that I come. Because when I come, we don't, (laughs) beloved, when he comes. The Bible says, the nations say, who is this? Who is this one? And again, that, that phrase caught me this week. Who is this? And it's, it's used about 15 times referencing the Lord in the scripture. And I began to consider the idea of who is this. And I looked at the different times that the who is this is used. It's used four different ways predominantly. It's best I can tell. There may be ten, but I can tell four. And each time, best I can tell, it's used about Jesus. Every time it's used about Jesus, it's discussing an attribute of who he is as a king. It's very interesting. Very interesting. When we, when we begin to touch this thing, there should be something in our heart. When we begin to think of this question, who is this? There should be something in our heart that we want to call the nations to the knowledge of him. We want to call people and say, you need to know who he is. Do you know who is this one? But then further, even another step, we should stand in front of the mirror and we should ask ourselves the question, who is this? Who is this one? Who is this Jesus? Do we know him? There's weird, uh, bad word, there's unique thank you unique verses just having a little conversation between me and the lord there are unique verses that discuss those that claim to have known the lord that don't in the scripture i'll encourage you to find them and consider them but the apostle paul in acts 9 5 he makes this first 
phrase statement of Jesus. He says, who are you, Lord? He's knocked from his horse, blinded by light, and he goes, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers. And that phrase becomes the primary uh, pursuit of the Apostle Paul's entire life. Who is this? So I want to go over four times this phrase is used. Let's just turn to the verses. First time that the phrase is used that appears in the scriptures in Psalm. Book of Psalm 24. It is the book of Psalm. Singular. So it is also the book of Revelation. A bunch of our interns make fun of me because I always add it, make it Revelations. The Revelation. Somehow the book of Psalm, didn't, they didn't add them all together, but it's singular, Psalm. 24. We sang this tonight. We didn't plan that. That's called prophetic singers. That's how it works. I love it. We believe in the new song. We believe in singers singing the new song, the fresh thing that's on their heart. So I come in with a message many times, and then some prophetic singer or some prophetic person, they already know what I'm going to preach before I ever get there, and then they'll sing it and pray it, and da-da-da-da-da, and I get up and just give the recap. So exactly, we, we ministered at a church this morning, at one of our interns' uh, parents' churches in Conyers, and we get up there, and there's a little prophetic flow prior to preaching, and what happens? Three or four people come up with three or four words, and all three or four of those words are exactly what I'm about to preach. I was like... Thank you very much. <laughs> so I had to change my message on the fly. Keep them guessing. <laughs> Psalms. Psalms. Psalm 24. So she sang it over and over and over, didn't she? She sang it a bunch. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this? King of glory. Well, the answer comes, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your heads, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The first prophetic call to the knowledge of God reveals him as the King of glory. This verse is David's recap of the establishment of the tabernacle of David. I've got a whole couple messages on that. I won't go back into that. But they're bringing the, they're bringing the ark back in, and they're crying out, and they're saying, Who is this king of glory? And the answer is coming. He's the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And then he makes this crazy, stunning statement, The Lord of hosts. Well, what's the big deal about that? The Lord of hosts is the title of God as the ruler of all uh, those in the uh, heavenly realms. Every angel, every demon, everything that exists in the third heaven, in the spirit, he goes, he's the Lord of hosts. He's more than an earthly glorious king. He is the one that's got all authority, all power, and it's in both dimensions. In the spirit and the natural. He's a king of glory, a glorious king. He's not a prince or a lower level leader of glory. He's the king of glory, but he's the Lord of hosts. He comes 
as one that's mighty in battle. He's, he, he's never lost, but he has full authority in the realm of the Spirit, the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. Psalm 24-7 is one of, our, one of our great verses, one of our favorite verses. We love this verse. I felt like the Lord gave it, gave it to us many times. I like it because if you do Psalms 24 7, worship and intercession 24 7, you get the last phrase, the King of glory shall come in. I like that. So that's the first one. Second one, second time it appears in Scripture. Let's look over here. Song of Solomon. Chapter 3. I'm just going to read it and then I'm going to come back to it because I don't like it. Talk about it in this order. Song of Solomon 3. We did this one tonight too, but it was my, I did this. So it wasn't so prophetic. Verse 6. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? It's talking about Jesus. It's it's an allegory. Solomon represents the Lord Jesus and is talking about Jesus coming in glory. Now, we'll skip that and we'll move forward. Get Matthew 21. You can hold your place in Song of Solomon 3. Probably come back there. Matthew 21. Who is this? Verse, let's look at this. Uh, you know the story. It's a triumphal entry. It's when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem there at the end of his ministry. He's going to be crucified in a week. Verse 7. Let's look at that. It says, They brought the donkey and the colt. Jesus had told him to get it. And they, he told him where it would come from. It says, And they laid their clothes on them and they set Jesus on, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying. Now, at a glance, we don't think this is any big deal what they're saying. We go, Hosanna, 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 the son of David. What they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Those phrases are referred only, they're reserved, that's the word, reserved only for Messiah. Out of the mouths the people were declaring, you are the Messiah. You are God. You are God in the flesh. You're the king of our nation. You're the king of the Jews. You are a man who is God. That's what they were saying. It's fascinating. That's why the scribes said, tell them to stop. They can't say that. That's blasphemy. Because look, they stop, the rocks will cry out. It's just true. So he comes now as the king of the Jews. See, king of the Jews to you and I, we think of a political figure. King of the Jews is God in the flesh. It is God as a man. I was talking to one of our staff the other day, Jen, and she was telling me that she was in a restaurant and she was talking to a Jehovah's Witness. And they were just sharing. And, and she began to say, there you are. She just began to say, the Jehovah's Witness began to try to share with her about Jehovah and she goes yeah I believe in Jehovah she goes let me ask you something do you believe in the God man 
goes, hi. She goes, the God man, Jesus. She goes, he's messing me up. Are you messed up? <laughs> she just began to well up with tears. And in a moment, this Jehovah's Witness is weeping. What was she saying? She goes, do you know who is this? Do you understand that God became a man forever? He divinely humiliated himself for all time. Why? So he could have you. He's Messiah. He's God with us. Oh, who is this? So there's Jesus entering. He entered through the ark in the old covenant. Now he enters as a man. What kind of a day was that? What were the angels doing? What were the birds doing? What was creation doing on that day? God, as a man, coming in to die as his own sacrifice. He's the sacrifice and the altar. He's going to die so he can have us. What a day. Of course they asked, who is this? We don't get it. You should have come in another way. You shouldn't have come on a donkey. He goes, no problem. In a minute, I'll be back on a horse. Might be a 2,000-year minute, but it's going to be a minute. It's no problem. I'm coming back on a horse, and I'll look the way you expected. This time I'm coming to buy you for myself. I want you enough that I'd be uh, totally humiliated and put on flesh and die in your place because I love you that deeply. I am all God, but now guess what? I'm forever a man. It's unthinkable. <laughs> Who is this? And then Isaiah 63, let's look at that one. Tonight, all I'm doing is peppering you a little bit. I'm just peppering you. I'm just going, do you know him? Who is this? Do you know him? Who is this? Do you know him? Who is this? It's all I'm doing. All I, my real desire for tonight is you'd walk away from here going, I think I need to know him more. Perhaps what I'm doing needs to change so I can know him more. Isaiah 63. This is the scariest this is one of the scariest chapters in the entire Bible. Its first five verses are just unthinkable. Here's what we ordinarily do. I want to challenge you not to do this. Here's what we ordinarily do. When we read verses like we're about to read, we go, got to be figure of doesn't apply to anything real. It's got to be somebody's bad dream. Couldn't be anything real that's really going to happen. I mean, Isaiah is a prophet, and he did prophesy that Messiah was going to come. But for certain, this is figurative. And I want to challenge you that if he prophesied Messiah's a, a literal first coming, he's prophesying also his literal second coming, and the same principles apply. It's not figured of the first time the virgin was with child. He was born. His name was God with us. He was the God-man. He, he, he did come in, in Isaiah 53. He died on the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace, carried away our sorrows. and our, he, was, he was inflicted, and by his stripes we were healed prophesied that the way he would die and now i'm now he's prophesying how he's gonna come when he comes 
And he starts it with, who is this? I want to propose to you the nations will be saying in mass, who is this? There'll be a veil of deception upon the nations. They'll believe Jesus is not God. They'll believe he's something else. And when he comes with authority over the nations and power over the planet, I'll say that again. When he comes, he'll come with authority over the nations and power over the planet. And when he does come, it will stun the world. We think that Jesus, here, let me just say this for us. We think that when Jesus comes back, time stops, everything turns into heaven, and we all turn into flat, fat babies floating on clouds strumming harps. It's not what happens, beloved. He comes back as a real man in a glorified state, yes, riding a real horse, though. And he lands on the planet. And then he begins to set up shop and rule the globe. He's really coming as a real man to the planet. So there's verse after verse after verse in the Bible that discuss what will he do when he comes. And when he hits the planet, they begin to ask all over the globe, who is this? Why are they asking that? It's because of what he's doing. It's because of the power that's coming off of him. It's because of the zeal that's in his heart. Let's look at it. It's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. He's coming to have a bride in partnership and love, and this is the wedding day. This is the, the parallel chapter to this, if you want to study this later, is Revelations 19. Look at it. It's amazing. He goes, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? It's modern-day Jordan. Edom is the, or, uh, Basra is the capital. Because this one, if you're doing your, your geography, it's over there. Israel's here. It's kind of over here. This one who is glorious in his apparel. He's traveling in the greatness of his strength. Like I think it's the NIV, it says he's striding. He's striding. So what's he doing? He's striding across the planet in glory. He's arrayed in power and he's striding on the earth. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to walk on the planet. He's going to be in Jordan. He's going to be walking. He's going to be glorious in his apparel. It's going to be am am amazing. And then they go... So the question is, who is this? He goes, I who speak in righteousness, the one that's mighty to save. Verse 2, they go, why is your apparel red? And why are your garments like one who treads in the wine presses? If you tread in the wine presses, you're, you're, you're crushing grapes. The grape juice and all that would get on you. It would stain your, your raiment. It would be stained red. See, so why are your garments red? And in verse 1 it says, he's got dyed garments. He goes, I have trodden the wine press alone. He goes, yeah, I've trodden them. But he goes, I've trodden the wine press. And he goes, it is a wine press, but it's not the way you're thinking. He goes, and from the people there was no one with me. He goes, I've trodden them, what, in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Huh? Yeah, their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. And I've stained all my robes. The day of vengeance is in my heart. 
The year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. And my fury, it sustained me. Verse 6, I've trampled down, I've trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. What is he saying? He goes, I have slayed nations, and that's why my garments are red. What am I saying to you, Lord? I'm saying this. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's coming with passion and fire. He's coming with burning, flaming love to embrace a bride. But it's the moment when he shifts and everything else turns into the God who will slay everything that hinders love. And at that moment, he deals punitively, not redemptively, punitively in judgment and lays waste to the nations. Say it just plain. He's going to slay thousands of people. Psalm 110 makes it clear. Is that scary? It better be. We don't know who this one is who we deal with, and we think we do. And that's what I'm trying to provoke us to. We've got to come to a right knowledge of him. I've got to come to a right knowledge of him. I've got to equip my heart with the reality of his love and of his judgment and realize that his love and his judgment are one reality without contradiction in him. When he moves in wrath, he is moving in love. When he moves in judgment, he's moving in kindness. Kindness. All the attributes of God are without contradiction. Let me ask you, who is this? I'm telling you, we don't know him. I'm calling you to the reality of the knowledge of God. Here's the other question. How much of our time are we allowed, or not going to say it differently, how much of our time are, are we willing to spend in this life not pursuing to know him? Who is this? When he comes in Isaiah 63, he comes as the king of the nations. Psalm 24, he's the king of glory. He's the captain of the hosts. Matthew 21, he's the king of the Jews. Now he's coming as the king of the nations and the judge of the earth. He's glorious in his apparel. He's striding forth in greatness. Now, turn back to Psalm, Song of Solomon chapter 3. Song of Solomon 3 and I'm done. Guys, I'm just trying to provoke our hearts. I'm just trying to call us to the revelation of who He is. I'm just trying to call us to real knowledge of God. I, I want, you know what I want to do? I want to shake us up out of our uh, Western days. We're just, we're just, we're just dazed with complacency, and we're just dazed with. Uh, churchianity, and we're just dazed believing we know stuff that we just don't know. And we take for granted too many things. We assume too much. He's, he's ultra kind, but he's ultra ferocious. I mean, he's both. I like my friend, one of my friends, he said, he goes, he's like Mufasa. Ooh. Every time you say his name, Mufasa. Ooh. She caused your heart to tremble. He goes, do it again. It's what he's like. On one hand, you want to touch him. On the other hand, you're like, I'm a little scared. 
You perceive the knowledge of God. He goes, you touch the knowledge of God, guess what else you'll find? The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2. As you find the knowledge of God, you're going to find the fear of the Lord. Song of Solomon 3. Now that I've scared you, let me tell you about how wonderful he is. Somebody ought to make a movie about Isaiah 63. Let's forget all the rapture stuff. Let's just do Isaiah 63. It's rated R, and let's just go for it. <laughs> this could be way worse than rated R, I'll tell you. I don't mean to offend, but I mean for real. All right, who is this? Here we go. Verse 6, Song of Solomon. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? With all the merchants' fragrant powders, behold, it's Solomon's couch. With Sixty valiant men around it with the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war, and every man has on his thigh his sword because of fear in the night. It's of the wood of Lebanon. The Solomon the king made himself a palanquin. That's one of those mobile chariots that they used to carry on their shoulders, and the king would be in the, in the chariot or in the bed. He made its pillars of silver, its supports of gold, its seat of purple, its interior paved with love. By, or King James Version says, for the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and seek King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. These verses, it's too, too much to even try to get into in any depth. The symbols in these verses are amazing. But the who is this? While Isaiah 63 is the call to the knowledge of who he is as the king of the nations, the judge. Song of Solomon 3, verse 6, is who is this? It's the knowledge of who he is as the king of the ages, the bridegroom God. And this is the day of the gladness of his heart. He's coming, and, and what's happening here in the, in the story is this. He's in the palanquin. This is Jesus represented. He's in the palanquin. He's being carried. I believe he's being carried by angelic soldiers. He's coming to possess his bride. It's the day of his wedding. He's come out of his palace and he's traveling across. He's being carried by angelic soldiers and he's in this, this uh, it's a gospel chair is what it is. Something he made for himself, something he designed for himself and he paved it with love. The bottom line is this. He arrays himself with soldiers and he declares it as the day of the gladness of his heart. Two points I want to make. Number one, he raised it with soldiers, and the reason why is because nothing will stop him from having his bride. There's been a dream in the heart of God for all of eternity, a dream where he would be united uh, in marriage. It's, that's the term. It's a, it's a marriage unity that he will have with humankind, those that would say yes voluntarily to him and love him the way he loves them. He's been dreaming about it from eternity past. He's been considering this particular day when he's going to be able to, to consummate the betrothal. He's going to be able to actually join in union with the one that is the passion and desire, the, the love of his heart. That one 
is you. He's dreamed of this day for all eternity. So he appears coming arrayed with angelic soldiers. Why? Because nothing will stop him from having you. Nothing will get in the way. He goes, I will have her. This is the day. And he describes it as the day of the gladness of his heart. I want to think, I want you to think about something. Here's Jesus. All God, all man. The Father's promised him the nations for his inheritance. The nations are your inheritance, son. He goes, I like it. He goes, yeah, you're going to be in voluntary love with them for, for all eternity. He goes, I like this. So Jesus comes to the earth and for the joy set before me endures the cross. He's slaughtered, crushed under the wrath of God. Why? So he can have you. He ascends the right hand of the Father. And in the first century, a common, you see it throughout the New Testament, a common prayer was, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. So there it is. The first century believers are crying out, come back, Jesus. We want to be with you. If you read the last prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, he goes, Father, I desire that they be with me. He goes, guess what? They desire that they be with you. They're crying out, come. And Jesus goes, I like this. I'm ready. And the Father goes, not yet. He goes, we're only in the first century, Jesus. He goes, but there's something that's been in our heart for all of eternity. And look, there's people that voluntarily love me. They're embracing me in the grace of God. They're saying yes, and they love me. and They're crying, come, Abba, when can I go? He goes, not yet, son. He goes, I've got times and seasons that I've placed my own authority. Because there's so many more whose hearts I'm going to captivate, hearts I'm going to fascinate. There's so many more. Throughout the ages, I want you to consider this. Jesus has heard every cry of every believer down throughout the ages. Every groan, like she was talking about earlier. Every ache of everyone that ever wanted him to come. He's heard them all throughout eternity. All throughout the ages, he's heard it. And every time, it's pulled on his heart. And he's desired to come and answer to the cry and the plea of his people. At some measure, we have begun to mirror what he desires to do the most. See, there's a day that's the gladness of his heart. It's the day where he will finally be able to move in response to the desire that's welling up within him, but also the cry that's coming from the planet. Now, what do you think is going on in the God who is a consuming fire? He is forever God, forever man. And he's, his one passion, one desire is you. What do you think is going on in him when he's had 2,000 years of come, Lord Jesus, come? He is sitting on the edge of his seat, welling with desire, ready to come. Ready to embrace his bride, ready to be joined forever with her. The church, we cry out, we say, come Jesus, we love you, we love to be loved by you, come. He goes, Abba, he goes, not yet, son. He goes, ah, this thing's burning. <laughs> oh, if we only knew what's resonating right now in the heart of Jesus 
He is going to come, beloved. He is going to come arrayed with smoke and glory. He is going to come. He is going to come on the day of the gladness of his heart. And he is absolutely nothing is going to get in the way. Nothing is going to stop him. He will have a bride. He will have those that will say yes. And we will be joined with him for eternity. He is going to come and it is going to be explosive in the emotions of God. I cannot wait for that day. And, and at the introductory measure that I say, I want it. A million times more, he says, no, I want it. We have it at a fraction. He has it in fullness. Fullness of desire for, and it's a, it's a, it's a divine longing, that's what it is, for intimacy with his, with his creation, with us. Who is this? Who is this king of the ages, the bridegroom God? Who is this king of the nations, the judge of the earth? Who is this all God, all man? Who is this king of glory? Who is this? Come on, let's just stand. Father, I'm asking. You touch us like you touch the apostle Paul. I'm asking that you break in with light and revelation upon us. Take weak words, God, offered in weakness and brokenness before you. Take, up, take my weak words, God, and use them somehow. Let them resonate. Let us be people with an eternal ache. God, would you author something divine in our heart of desire for you? That we would call to you and say, who is this? We want to know you. We'd say like the Apostle Paul, who are you, Lord? Who are you, King of the ages? The great bridegroom God will be forever joined with his people. Who are you, King of the nations? The great judge of the earth. Who are you, King of glory? The King, the Lord of the host, the King of kings. Who is this? Abba, I'm asking, release revelation. Release revelation. We want to know you. We desire to know you. We long to know you. Would you author something real? Would you author an ache? As a wonderful sister said earlier, would you author, author a groan? Who is this? It begs the question, do you know him? I'm not asking about just an introduction. I'm not even really asking about salvation. Though if you don't know the Lord, you must know him. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord. We call people to repentance. If you don't know the Lord tonight, if you're away from God, you must know God. You must know Him. You must know Jesus. He is for real. But perhaps you're one that you've been introduced. But maybe something tonight saying, I, I don't think I know Him like that. I don't, 
I don't know that I've embraced him as the judge. I don't know that I've embraced him as the bridegroom. I said yes to him as Savior, but it sort of stopped there. I said, yes, I'll take you as Lord, but I don't know him in his emotions. I don't know him in his attributes. I'm saying, come, let us return to the Lord. Let's pursue the knowledge of God. There's an established coming of the Lord, and I believe it's close, beloved. There's an established coming of the Lord. I believe it's close at hand. Come, let us pursue. Come, let us know. Let's pursue the knowledge of God. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? I want to say something, says we're in an attitude of prayer. I want to say something to our staff. I just really believe there's a window of opportunity for us as a staff there's like just like an open window in the grace of God to plunge ourselves deep into the knowledge of God to really do this thing in fasting and prayer to really go after God got some, I, I, there, I just I just sense a smile and a good thing smile the Lord upon our, our, our next days I think month of May is going to be a great month I just, I just want to call us as a staff and as a family. I want to call us to lean in. Lean in, beloved. Let's give ourselves in the place of prayer and intimacy, knowledge of God. Let's call ourselves again to doing IHOP. If you've allowed distractions to get in the way, let's, let's deal ruthlessly with those things. Let's go after God's heart. For real, in the place of fasting and prayer, I believe he wants to reveal himself. There's an open window before us. I really believe that. Come, let us return. Let us know. Let us pursue.